Hi, men. It's Margaret. I am going to read this book to you. This is the one that I was telling you about that there's not an audiobook version for. Um, the book is called Regardless of What You Were Taught to Believe, There Is Nothing Wrong With You. Going Beyond Self-Hate, A Compassionate Process for Learning to Accept Yourself Exactly as You Are by Sherry Huber. And before I start reading the book, I want to say a couple things about it. First of all, um, I think that the she talks a lot about, well, this book comes from a Buddhist tradition um, of meditation. And so she talks a lot about sitting still. You and I both know that that's sitting still is not something that uh, comes naturally to you. And I don't think that you should interpret when she talks about sitting still, I don't think that you should interpret it as sit without motion. I think it's the, the goal is sit without voluntary motion because that's what the goal is for somebody without Tourette's as well when she talks about sitting still. The point is to sit down and not and to you know try to to calm your voluntary motions um you know and i will also point out that that's something that's really hard for uh people who are um who don't have tourettes also in any case the sitting still part, the meditation part is not like, even if you don't ever do any of that, I think you'll still get a lot out of this book. The other thing that I wanted to say before I started is that she talks a lot about your parents, you know, giving you ideas or whatever, as you are a kid. And the way that I read this book, it's not just literally your mom and dad, it's anybody who influenced you as a kid. So the kinds of ideas that she's talking about, um, you know, first of all, are throughout our entire society and are things in a lot of cases, you know, you may have like, you know, the best, most loving, most perfect mom and dad, but you're still getting these ideas from teachers and other kids at school and stuff like that. So anyway, those two ideas I don't want you to take super literally because I think that there is a lot for you to get out of this book, even taking those ideas flexibly. So let's begin. Forward. When I began guiding people along a path of spiritual growth, I realized that much of my role was to be an external representative of the unconditional love and acceptance they were seeking to find in themselves. I also realized early on that they didn't know what they were seeking or that I was playing that role. So we proceeded with the teacher representing the loving, structure-providing mother-slash-father as well as the wise, compassionate savior 
who would give them peace, clarity, and freedom. Some quickly concluded that I could not give them what they were looking for and moved on to find someone who could. Others stuck it out and slowly, step by courageous step, grew to see that no one could give them what they were seeking because it was already theirs, already within them. They found that the work was to realize it for themselves. A teacher could only point the way. Over the years, I've come to see that what I'm doing as a guide is trying to get folks to turn loose the conditioning that says they are bad, wrong, and inadequate long enough to catch a glimpse of who they really are. It is only after years of learning to trust my perceptions that they begin to accept the possibility that their beliefs about themselves and their world might be less than completely accurate. Every spiritual path tells us what we are seeking is inside us. When we are children, we learn to stop looking to ourselves to know what is so for us and to begin turning to others to know what is right. We learn to look first to parents, then to teachers, friends, lovers, husband or wife, children, Jesus or the Buddha or God, all out there. The love, the acceptance, the approval is out there and must be earned somehow. Once we have completed the turn away from ourselves, away from our heart, we experience ourselves as separate and find ourselves in a fight for survival. I am now a small self, adrift in a threatening world. My focus must be on surviving. Society offers us help in the form of various techniques and processes designed to enable us to cope better. But some of us, I would say the lucky ones, can't learn to cope. We keep having a nagging, unsettling sense that there is something fundamentally wrong with the whole structure. It's not just that I'm wrong, it feels bigger than that. This deep down dissatisfaction will sometimes lead a person to consider the realm of the spirit. Maybe it's even bigger than I thought. The reason spiritual practice is essential in doing the work of going beyond self-hate is that to be free of self-hate, we must find the unconditional. We might not have the words or concepts, but what we are longing for is something greater than this world, something lasting and secure. Of course, egocentricity, the illusion that you are separate from everything else, begins by thinking it can find this for itself. But initially that doesn't matter. It's the looking that matters, not who is looking or what is being looked for. Egocentricity is conditional. It is dualistic. It is the process of believing oneself to be separate. The illusion of separateness is not capable of experiencing wholeness. A spiritual practice, if we are willing and patient and sincere, will eventually lead us to that which can embrace the egocentric conditioned belief in separateness. As you learn to sit down, sit still, and pay attention, 
you begin to glimpse that which sees through the illusion, beyond the voices of society's conditioning, back to the original being. And slowly, that perceiving becomes more real than all you've been taught to believe. You begin to cease identifying with the small, frightened, socialized, conditioned person you always thought was the real you, and you gain a much broader view. With practice, you will move from being one who is hoping and looking to be saved to that which can save. You will begin to be the love, acceptance, and compassion you have always sought. In loving kindness, Sherry. You have been taught that there is something wrong with you and that you are imperfect, but there isn't, and you're not. Surviving childhood, establishing a strong early foundation for self-hate. Unless you were raised by wolves, the chances are extremely good that as you were growing up, you heard at least a few of the following. Don't do that. Stop that. Put that down. I told you not to do that. Why don't you ever listen? Wipe that look off your face. I'll give you something to cry about. Don't touch that. You shouldn't feel that way. You should have known better. Will you ever learn? You should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you. I can't believe you did that. Don't ever let me see you do that again. See, that serves you right. I told you so. Are you ever going to get it? What were the last words out of my mouth? What were you thinking of? You ruin everything. You have no sense. You're nuts. The nurses must have dropped you on your head. Just once, do something right. I've sacrificed everything for you, and what thanks do I get? I had great hopes for you. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Give you an inch, you take a mile. Anybody would know that. Don't talk back to me. You'll do as you're told. You're not funny. Who do you think you are? Why did you do it that way? You were born bad. You drive me crazy. You do that just to hurt me. I could skin you alive. What will the neighbors say? You do that to torture me. You're so mean. I could beat the daylights out of you. It's all your fault. You make me sick. You're trying to kill me. Now what's the matter with you, crybaby? Go to your room. You deserve it. Eat it because children are starving. Don't stick your lip out. If you cry, I'll slap you. Don't you ever think about anyone else. Get out of my sight. And on and on and on and on and on. Somewhere along the line, you concluded 
that there was something wrong with you. Of course you did. What else could you conclude? If there were nothing wrong with you, people wouldn't treat you that way. They wouldn't say those things to you. Wrong. Then why did they do that to me? Because it was done to them. Because we do what we've been taught. Society calls this child rearing or socialization. We call it sad. The process of socialization teaches us to assume there is something wrong with us, to look for the flaws in ourselves, to judge the flaws when we find them, to hate ourselves for being the way we are, to punish ourselves until we change. We've been taught that this is what good people do. Socialization does not teach us to love ourselves for our goodness, to appreciate ourselves for who we are, to trust ourselves, to have confidence in our abilities, to look to our heart for guidance. We've been taught that this is self-centered. By the time socialization is complete, most of us hold an unshakable belief that our only hope of being good is to punish ourselves when we are bad. We believe beyond doubt that without punishment, bad would win out over good. This entire book is based on the premise that that is not true. Here is what's possible. Child is born. Child learns to turn away from self toward other to get needs met. Stops trusting intuitive knowing. Need is not met. Child believes it is because she or he is bad. Child abandons self and decides to be perfect. Be who others want. I won't need anything. I shouldn't be afraid. I'll do everything right. Child begins to develop survival behaviors that are self-denying, self-preserving, self-destructive. For example, shuts down emotionally, eats to stuff feelings, etc. Older person uses self-hating behaviors to try to be a good person, values others over self, denies self, uses ideals against self. This leads to suffering. Person tries everything to make conditioning work. Person begins awareness practice. Person finds compassion and self-acceptance. And the child is reborn. My survival system is killing me. What happened to you, not who you are, makes you angry, fearful, greedy, mean, anxious, etc. We learned behaviors when we were very young in order to survive. We were taught to hate those behaviors and to see them as signs of our badness. Yet we must keep doing them because they still mean survival to us. And we hate ourselves for doing them. The trap. 
I believe I must be this way to survive. I hate myself for being this way. The result? Self-hate equals survival. Survival equals self-hate. Suffering provides our identity. Identity is maintained in struggle and dissatisfaction, in trying to fix what's wrong. So we are constantly looking for what is wrong, constantly creating new crises so we can rise to the occasion. To ego, that's survival. It is very important that something be wrong so we can continue to survive it. Okay, men, that's the very beginning of there is nothing wrong with you. And there is nothing wrong with you. I love you so very much. I hope that you're having a great time at camp. I'm just going to keep recording bits of this book over the next few days. And by the time you're back from camp, there will be a nice little set of episodes for you. I probably won't have completed the book by then, but I'll have done enough for you to at least get started. I love you. And I want you to love yourself.